Acts chapter 24, and we'll read just one verse. Acts chapter 24 and verse 24, the Word of God says, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd help us now as we finish up this little series on our responsibilities to the faith. We ask that you'd give us uh, insight into our responsibilities and give us a heart to want to please you in these areas. What we're going to talk about tonight is a very common theme around here, especially to these that are here tonight. I pray you'd just uh, settle it a little bit deeper into our heart, this great responsibility we have. In Christ's name, amen. And so we're talking about the faith. In the introductory phase of this little Bible series, we talked about the definition of the faith, the expectation of the faith, the contention for the faith, and then the abdication of the faith. And then we went into seven responsibilities to the faith. What are our responsibilities to the faith? You know, with every privilege, there comes a responsibility. If you're privileged to drive a car, you have the responsibility to use the car wisely and follow the rules of the road, right? If you are privileged to have a job and work for a company or a person, then you have a responsibility to that person. If you're privileged to be saved, you have a responsibility to the Savior. If you're privileged to be a church member, there's a responsibility to the church. And so... In this day, we see a lot of people focus on their rights and their privileges, but very little focus on the responsibilities. You know, there used to be a day when Americans thought, what was my responsibility to the country? You know, President Kennedy famously said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Well, we don't hear about that much anymore, do we? Um, We deserve free health care. We deserve all these things. We deserve a paycheck. Why? Because we're an American. It's it's deserved. No, there's a responsibility as an American if we want to uh, maintain the great country that we have been given. And so it is with the faith. God has gifted us with salvation. There's responsibilities to that. God has gifted us with a body of doctrine called The faith, and there's responsibilities to the faith. And so we've talked about our seven responsibilities. The first was to submit to the faith. And obedience is the proof of submission. When we submit to God's word, we obey its commands and precepts. Number two was to sustain the faith. It does no good to have the faith only to leave it. We must continue in the faith. Our third responsibility was to show the faith, and people should be able to see our faith on a daily basis through our words, actions, and attitudes. Our fourth responsibility is to stand for the faith. Satan fights against God and his people, and we will become casualties of spiritual warfare if we don't choose to stand for the faith. Our fifth responsibility is support the faith. We must support disciples, preachers, and churches in the faith. Number six was to strive for the faith. We must strive for the protection and promotion of the faith. So we go through those 
Again, just because some of those were several weeks ago, we want to keep before us what our responsibilities to the faith uh, are that we should maintain. Number seven is an obvious one, and one that we talk about quite a bit here, but one that we can never get too far away from, and that is to share the faith. To share the faith. We are commanded to share the faith with the world. We see here in our text in Acts chapter 24 that Paul was speaking to a man named Felix. And after certain days, verse 24, after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith. This man, Antonius Felix, was the Roman procreator or governor in Judah, Judea at the time that Paul the Apostle visited and was arrested there. We see in Acts chapter 23, hold your place here and look at Acts chapter 23. And look at verse 24. It says, And provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe to Felix the governor. If you remember, there was a great riot. The apostle Paul was about ready to be torn in two. Uh, This man, Lysias, who was a Roman centurion, came in and arrested Paul, uh, actually treated him quite poorly. Then he found out that Paul himself was a Roman, and it was against the law for a Roman to mistreat a Roman. Uh, So it's interesting when Lysias begins to tell the story later, he makes himself the hero how he rescued Paul. That's not the way it started, right? He, He had arrested Paul and was going to punish him torture him basically until he found out what the issue was, Uh, but then later he changes the story, if you will, to make himself, I saved this Roman citizen. So Paul is in prison, and then it comes to the centurion's awareness that there were people that were waiting to kill Paul, and as soon as Paul was going to be moved to the trial, there were people going to attack that party and kill them. And so this man makes ready, if you look at verse 23, uh, and he called, Lysias called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen three score and ten, and spearmen 200. So they knew that there was a mob ready to attack Paul when they moved him, so they did a couple things. They changed the hour they were going to move him into the night, and then they made ready 200 soldiers a 200 spearmen and 70 cavalry to move Paul to this other town, Caesarea, to go see Felix. This was quite an operation. But it also shows you how desperate the Jews were to kill Paul. Paul eventually gets to Caesarea. He comes before Felix. Felix says, we'll deal with this whenever the other people can come and I can hear more about what's going on. Then we pick it up in in verse 24. After certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Not his faith, the faith. So Paul was brought before Felix in Caesarea to answer charges against him. 
after the riot in Jerusalem, but Felix had heard much of Paul's preaching and wanted to hear Paul's preaching for himself. You see, Paul was known to just preach the gospel to anybody who would listen. Paul would preach to the guards that would guard him. He would preach to those visitors that would come. And uh, he shared the faith with princes and peasants while he was in prison. And he was known for giving the gospel and preaching the faith at every opportunity. So Felix tells his wife, hey honey, let's go down and hear Paul and hear what he's got to say and why there's such a a tumult, such a controversy surrounding him. Notice what Paul's message was in verse 25. And as he, Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and self-control, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and said, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So Felix was visibly moved by conviction. But he didn't accept Christ. Now, Paul preached about righteousness. And if you're preaching about righteousness, you preach about the righteousness of Christ and how all of us fall short. And contemporary historians like Tacitus and Josephus, who knew this man Felix, talked an awful lot about what an evil and wicked man he was. Matter of fact, Drusilla was his third wife. And Felix convinced her to leave her current husband to come marry him. He had three wives. His third one was a Jewess. He was known to just be a a wicked man, an unscrupulous man. Matter of fact, he was so bad, Nero called him back to Rome. He was actually fired from being the governor of Judea. And then six years later, a war broke out. Much of it pointed back to the actions of Felix while he was there for six or seven years as the governor of Judea. This was not a good man. And the Apostle Paul's preaching to him about righteousness and, of course, our lack of it, and temperance, self-control, of which Felix had little to none, and judgment, standing before God and being judged for it all. You know, folks, that's really the message that we preach today. Righteousness, temperance, judgment. Before you get saved, you need to hear that message. After you get saved, we still need to hear those same themes. But Felix was visibly moved. He was shaking, but he did not accept Christ. He said what countless sinners have said, go thy way for this time, and when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Let's talk about this again another time. But you know, folks, Felix was under conviction this time. The Bible never tells us that Felix was under conviction again. And we often remind people, you don't get saved when you want to. You get saved when you have the opportunity. And while we have a whosoever will may come salvation, the Bible also says no man comes unless the Father draws him. There has to be conviction. And what happened, we see with Felix, is over time his heart began to harden. Matter of fact, we see in the next verse, he began to call for Paul more often because he was hoping to be bribed. He would let Paul out of prison for the right amount of money. But every time he spent time with Paul and heard the gospel message, 
it affected him less and less as his heart got harder and harder. And as far as we know, Felix was never born again. As far as we know, Felix has been in hell for 2,000 years. And he was so close to salvation. Same thing happened to his successor, Festus. He cried out at one point, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost. But almost isn't enough to get into heaven, is it? You've got to be born again. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. Our focus for this Bible study tonight is that Paul was known for preaching Christ. After his miraculous conversion, he became known as a preacher immediately. Hold your place here and look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, the apostle gives some of his history. Everybody has a testimony, how they came to Christ, how they grew in Christ after salvation. And the apostles had one too. And here Paul gives some of his testimony. Look at verse 13. If you have heard of my conversation or behavior in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. We know he was Saul the persecutor. He was so effective in Israel that he got permission to go to Damascus in another country and hunt Christians there. But on the way, he met Jesus and surrendered to the Son of God. Look at verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So here he talks about getting saved. And then he talks about what to do, what he did after he was saved. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to then which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. So he's talking about his testimony. He didn't go right to the apostles and sit at the feet of the apostles to be trained. Matter of fact, we believe that when he was in Arabia, he had supernatural meetings with the Lord Jesus Christ as Christ himself taught him the scriptures and inspired him to know the, the will of God. Look what it says in verse 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by the face, by face unto the churches of Judah, excuse me, Judea, which were in Christ. So he had a name that went before him, but people didn't know what he looked like. And matter of fact, often when they saw him, they're like, this is Paul. We believe he was of small of stature. He wasn't an imposing figure. Uh, but spiritually, uh, he was very imposing. But his fame went before him. Look at verse 23. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed and I love verse 24, and they glorified God in me. 
That's a good verse for all of us to take as our own. Make that a prayer request. Lord, glorify yourself in me. Help people to see you through me. And this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul. So he had a name uh, that he was a mighty preacher for Christ. And what a remarkable testimony. Every believer should have a similar transformation. That when we get saved, whatever we were known for in the past, whoever we used to be in the past, that there is a transformation that we become concerned about the souls of men. There are far too many Christians in America today that their co-workers don't even know they're Christians. Their neighbors don't even know they're Christians. Their family has never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And it just ought not be that way. One of our responsibilities to the faith is to share it. If you came up with a cure for cancer, and cancer's taken untold lives over the years. What a terrible disease. We've got some in our own congregation who are fighting it now. Yuko and Cheryl and Claire. Anyone I'm missing? It's a terrible thing. What if you had the cure tonight? And you just kept it to yourself. That'd be a crime against humanity, wouldn't it? How much worse is it that we have the cure for the... The sin problem. Everybody right now who's lost, they are literally one heartbeat away from eternal damnation. How can we not share the faith? Now, I say that as one who has far too many times failed to share my own faith. And that frustrates me. But we can't live there. Wherever you are, whether you're a faithful soul winner or maybe you're scared to death to to talk to somebody, let alone about their soul, each one of us have a duty, a sacred responsibility to share the faith. On the evening of the resurrection, Christ met with his disciples to give them marching orders. He told them he would be leaving, going back to heaven, but his mission to save the lost must continue. And he gave them what became known as the Great Commission. This command that every believer should go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Great Commission is so important that it's repeated in all four gospels and the book of Acts. Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, John chapter 20, Acts chapter 1. Must be pretty important. 
Unfortunately, most believers treat this commandment as the great suggestion rather than the great commission. I simply want to ask us a question. To me, to you, are we doing our part? Are we doing our part? If I don't know what to do, there's a rack full of tracks back there. It'll even do the heavy lifting for you. All you got to do is pass it out. I was somewhere yesterday. I stopped to get a cup of coffee after the, the uh, funeral. I found a great little coffee shop. They had some banana walnut cake with a cream cheese icing that I shouldn't have eaten. But I did. <laughs> but before I went to poison my liver with those calories... I pulled out a smile track and I handed it to the lady. I said, I give you a smile. Would you read that when you get a chance? I didn't have 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes to sit there and give her the gospel, but I could leave her a little something that would. It could be as simple as that. But nothing is better than just looking at someone you care about, whether they're a stranger or especially a friend or loved one, and saying, can I ask you a personal question? Or can I talk to you about something that's important to me? You know, when you're dealing with family, you don't have to say, <clears throat> if you were to die today, do you know for sure? They're going to be like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to me like that? Sometimes you can just look at someone who you care about and say, can I talk to you about something that's important to me? And if you're important to them, nine times out of ten, they'll say, of course. Or can I, can I just talk to you for a minute about something that's been on my heart? Whatever the situation, we have a responsibility to share the gospel. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. powerful verse 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 4 <coughs> but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God which trieth the hearts. God trusted us with the gospel. God trusted us with the cure. I don't think I would have. If I was the Lord, I would have had my angels preach the gospel. Perhaps we'd have the clouds write the Romans road in the sky. Maybe we'd have the trunk of every tree have scripture engraved. But God in his wisdom knew that the best way to tell a sinner about the saving gospel is from another sinner who's already accepted it. And if broad's the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go there, and straight is the way to life, and few there be that find it, 
That means that, relatively speaking, there are only a few people on the planet who have the cure to sin. But then if you break that down to the small percentage of true believers who actively share their faith, you find there is a mighty small number of people on the planet taking their responsibility to share the faith seriously. Then what do I do about that? You become the change that needs to happen. You say, well, I can't change the world. No, but you can change your world. I can't change America. You can change your home. I can't change what's on the TV. You can change what comes out of your mouth. Don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do. Don't focus on all the people you can't save. Focus on those that you can tell. And what you might find out is if God's people just got focused on doing what every person can do, that all those little changes make a big difference. Amen? Amen. It's our responsibility to share the faith. By God's grace, we become the instruments God uses to bring sinners to eternal salvation. And I'll finish with this verse, just reading it. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. It's a fantastic thought. The souls that we have won to Christ here on earth make up a portion of our heavenly reward. There's something called the soul winner's crown. One of the greatest rewards we're going to have in heaven is getting there and seeing people that were there because God used our mouths to help them get there. That's fantastic. Sadly, there will be some Christians that have no one there. There's an old song that says, Must I go and empty-handed? You don't want to go empty-handed you want to do is go there knowing there are people in heaven today that I've won to Christ over the years. And that just makes heaven that much sweeter. It's our responsibility to share the faith. Our seven duties to the faith. Submit, show, sustain, stand, support, strive, share. When we fulfill these responsibilities to the faith, we can please the Lord in our daily lives. And after we have the faith and know what to do with it, then we can focus on our faith. And the Bible says, add to your faith. And we'll discuss that at another time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the The message that we've heard, it's a heavy responsibility to share the gospel. But Lord, we could look at it as heaviness and as a burden, or we could look at it as a glorious privilege. And I pray that we would sense this and and accept it as the privilege that it is, and rather being burdened by it, although sometimes we must feel the burden, that we would live in the privilege and joy 
that you would allow our mouths who have said such horrible and hurtful things at times past, that you would use our mouths to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. 